I want to speak into your mental wealth as well as your mental health. And over these next few weeks, and, and today, as I said, is, is the second part to something I said two weeks ago. Actually, we've got another guest speaker next week, Pastor Paul Hudson, because I'm slowing this down, because I, you'll need to practice what I preach. I'm going to practice what I preach, but I want you to practice what I preach. Are you ready? Today we're going to talk about getting to the core issues, those core beliefs that sit in secret almost in your mind and in your heart. Are you with me? Can I hear an amen in the house at least? Yeah, great. Hey, let me introduce you to Max. Max is the dog you always wanted. Whether you're a dog lover or not, Max would be on films and on TV programs. He's like the Labrador, uh, beautiful. He's not vicious in any way. He's just a dog that loves life. He's awesome. He really is. He runs around his garden. And if there is a car driving past his garden, because he's a dog, everything within him wants to chase the car. But he gets to the edge of the garden and he stops and he doesn't chase it. If some kids are playing uh, next to his garden, they've got a ball. He looks at that ball and every fiber and gene within him says, that ball is mine and it should go in my mouth and I should run away with it and I should go after it. And he gets to the edge of his garden and stops at the edge of his garden. And of course, as often happens, a cat walks on the edge of Max's garden. And as he looks into that cat's face, the face of evil, he gets to the edge of the garden and wants to... None of you laughed at the face of evil joke. I mean, you must all be cat lovers. Because <laughs> we all know cats are evil, right? Anyway, he suddenly shouted out, no, I'm being heckled from in-house. Oh, I have missed the heckling. <laughs> Max gets to the edge of the garden where he could see the cat and every fiber of his being is twitching to chase the cat. But he doesn't chase the cat because Max believes that on the edge of his garden, there is an electric current that will shock him every time he crosses it. So he wants to do it, but he can't do it because he believes there's an electric shot. And actually, there was once. His owners had put an invisible electric shot, but a, a child uh, ran into their garden and got shocked one time, and they, they had to take it down. But Max doesn't know that, and he still believes that current is there today. I just wonder how many historical shocks you have had that keep you believing an invisible lie that now doesn't exist and keeps you from being the person you're supposed to be. I just wonder what electric fence is around your house. The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, even though he was in prison, his mind was free. But it wasn't always that way. The Apostle Paul wrote his letters roughly from A.D. 57, a bit, a bit before uh, A.D. 51, uh, through about A.D. 65. He, he had that writing career. And when he wrote the book of Romans in A.D. 57, um, he, he wrote these words in Romans chapter 7. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do it. 
For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing it. Anybody else feel that way? Particularly when the cheese sandwich at night is just calling you and says, I'm really good. And you'll say, no, you're really evil, but soon there are crumbs around your mouth. (laughs) I do not want to do, but I keep on doing it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it's sin living within me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do God, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and the work within me. And Paul is describing the, the dilemma of every human that, that we have competing tensions and desires within us and sometimes we win and sometimes we give in. And I want to teach you how to win. Paul actually says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? Later on, About actually five years later on, Paul writes to the Philippians, and actually we can see progress in who he is. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's progress when you come from that confused state, that that striving state to, I now have contentment, I can run my life. Some of you through this series, you're going to be saying to me, Pastor Mark, just chillax. Just don't be so dramatic. I just want to live a normal life. And all the while, because you are going for just a middle-of-the-road normal life, The enemy is stealing progress from you week by week, month by month, and that you're being held back from the life that God really wants you. You have to engage in a war. And some of you will think that I'm being dramatic, but you have to declare a war on the things that are holding you back, and nothing less than a battle and a war will do. It's not a debate. It's not a cajole. This is war. Neville Chamberlain, on September the 30th, 1938, came and landed, and we got a famous uh, black and white film of him having come back from the Chancellor of Germany, a.k.a. Hitler, and he had a piece of paper in his hand that he waved, and it read this, we, we regard this agreement we signed as symbolic of the, the desire of our two nations never to go to war with one another again. In less than a year, we were at war. Later on, as the crowds crowded around number 10, it wasn't railed off like it was today. He came out and he weighed the piece of paper again and he said, I believe this is peace in our time. And then he closed his speech with these words. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice, quiet sleep. And everybody cheered. And I want to say to you today, wake up. Do not go home and have a sleep about this message. 
wake up. The reason we don't go to war is because we want a neutral life. We don't want the effort. We don't want that kind of thing. We want to say, hey, don't let's take things too far. But this is what holds us back. The enemy takes ground, and we don't move in progress, and we move away from the life that God plans us to do because we refuse to engage in the battle. You see, let me say it this way. You have to be intentional and see that there are strongholds that we've all bought into that, that hold us back. And, and right now, as I'm speaking, the enemy is going to whisper to you, wherever you're listening from and here in the room, he's going to say, oh, that's not you, that's other people. But actually, subtly, every one of us has bought into some untruths, some core beliefs. That's what we were talking about today. Some things that sit resident within our being, and, and we know some of them sometimes, but we need to take the time to really get them out of our lives and uncover the layers of health and healing that God wants for us. As you know, before coming to Birmingham, I pastored a church in North Hertfordshire called Letchworth. And I, I wanted so much to, to fill the building with people. And I remember the day when we filled our little church there. And I stood up and it was packed and full. And, you know, the pandemic's taken all those things away from us. But it was packed and full. And, you know, it lasted for two minutes. I almost felt like the Lord said to me, is that it? Is that the end of your life now? Have you made your great success? And uh, we then went, Nick, I can't remember, I think it was called the Spinny Hall. We, we moved the church once a quarter to a uh, hall, and we filled that. And then we went to the Spirella building, and we filled that. And, and actually, it was through that process of me being dissatisfied with it being filled that God exposed a lie, and he exposed the stronghold in my life. And it was this, your value as a minister lies in how many people come. And that's not true. Although we value everybody who comes, and, and please don't stay away because of that, so well, he doesn't care. Of course we care. We want as many people with us as possible. But the value of our church and the value of you and the value of me and my ministry, God exposed that stronghold in my life that was actually robbing the joy of victories from my heart. Instead of me celebrating when the building was full, I was going, oh, is that it? And then we moved on to our real mission statement of, hey, we're not just filling buildings, we're forming Christ in everyone. And that was the process that it took. And it was easy for the Lord to speak to me when I came to Birmingham and say, you can't fit a city in the building, but you can reach a city. You see, we've all got secret strongholds. And we have these core beliefs that sit within us that rob us of, on, of the right progress of the Lord. And I know this sounds similar a little bit to what I said two weeks ago, but I really want you to get it, and then we're going to do some coaching in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Let's just refresh ourselves in that again, for it says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, if, if we were all back in the building and we had no restrictions, I would, I would be uh, really going for it right now and saying, one, two, three, four, I declare a spiritual war. And I would be getting you to repeat it after me. I'd say, one, okay, two, three, four. We declare a spiritual war. <laughs> oh, that was lame. But anyway... <laughs> You have to be intentional about declaring, I need to fight this out of my life. If you visit castles in England, medieval castles in particular, in the center of them, they've got something called the keep. And the keep was the most fortified and strong place of the castle. In Windsor Castle, it's called uh, the Central Tower. In Cardiff Castle, they have it. But it's basically the design of a castle. It has a keep in the middle. And that's where, when the castle was attacked, all the important people lived, stayed, and until the attack passed, they were kept safe in there. This is precisely what Paul meant when he talked about strongholds here in this scripture. In, the, in uh, ancient cities, right in the center of the city, there was a fortified building, and it was the most fortified place, and it was where the leaders, the politicians, and all the so-called important people rode out and hid, rode out the attack and hid until it was over. If you took the city, but you didn't take down the stronghold, then all those leaders would reestablish that city in the way that they wanted after you'd left. You see they would rebuild it in their image. This is exactly what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22. Hey, by the way, please take notes with me. Watch on replay and take some notes and write some scriptures down. Go on the YouVersion app, make your notes. But Paul, uh, the Proverbs talks like, like this. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. You see, you've got to get to the core belief. Paul uses a Greek word here for stronghold, okarama, which means to fortify. These beliefs are strong in there. And again, right now, the enemy will be saying to you, well, you haven't got that. But if you know the truth and you agree with truths, Unless you take down the strongholds, you'll behave for a little while, and then you'll resort back to your natural pattern of not quite living it the way that you know that Christ wants you to. It's because you believe all the right stuff, but you haven't taken out that core lie or stronghold or belief and really given it over to Jesus and applied his truth to it. In fact, Paul says we have to demolish it. He, he talks about a user word called katharao, which means that you take it down with violence. Let me give you some bad news that sounds like bad news, but it's actually good news. You don't have the power to do this. You can't do this. You look at uh, mental health and mental well-being all over the nation, and people are struggling to change. 
And, and yeah, thank God for our mental health services because they do a great job and some people, uh, people do change or what they do is they manage and medicate. What I'm talking about today is change and transformation and renewal. And that's the difference. And I'm not running down all those other things at all. But you don't have the power to fully demolish the strongholds in your mind. It sounds like bad news, but it's good news. Because the good news is that God has the power and he lives in you. That he can change you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says he has incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is the same mighty strength that he exerted in Christ. The same power it took to raise Christ from the dead is living in your spirit right now. And that power can really change you. He's seated you in heavenly places now. So you're saying, well, Pastor Mark, if I've not got the power, but God's got the power, how does this work? This is your job. Now, stay with me now. Here comes the coaching bit. Your job with the Holy Spirit is to identify your stronghold and call it out. It's to begin to say, I am not going to do the things that don't work. I'm just going to admit what I've got. I'm going to call it out. You see, Satan's only weapon against you is the lie that he's got you believing. He's not strong enough to stand up against God. He's not clever enough to outwit God. The only lie, the only weapon that Satan has is the lie he's got you believing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, 11, verse 3 says, uh, But I am afraid, Paul says, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow uh, be led astray away from your sincere and pure devotion. The only power that Satan has is the deception that he can spin on you. Your job is to identify it, call it out, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals it. Your job is to be open and say, okay, I'm admitting that that is there. You know, a few few days ago, last week, Leon, our food bank manager, he must have thought I was crazy. I got a text from another person named Leon. And as I read this text, uh, I thought it said Leon Mills. It was another Leon, another pastor in the town. He was asking me about quite a serious situation. So during our morning briefing, I was saying, yeah, Leon, we'll get to that. I am totally sure we can do that. I was being jovial. And then later on, I I thought to myself, you you know, and uh, by the way, the text was from another Leon. So Leon's sitting in our briefing going, I have no idea what he's saying. And later on, he talked to me and said to me, uh, you know what, I just thought you hadn't had your coffee. But later on, I thought, you know what, I didn't quite handle that right with Leon. I need to make sure that I know that his issue is serious. So I called him and said, hey, Leon, we're going to get to this. And he said, Pastor Mark, can I just stop you? I have not sent you a text. I said, yes, you have. He said, I have not sent you this text. And I looked down on my phone and I said, oh, yeah, right, it's another Leon, it's not you. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just wonder whether you are believing something false and completely misappropriating your life. 
I just wonder whether you're believing that this is the right thing and actually it's a misappropriation. What is your stronghold? You cannot defeat what you cannot define. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you, you have to know what your issue is. Now, let's get into a process that, that can help you with that. You have to get into a process that can heal you and teach you. So it's okay me saying tear down your strongholds, but let's get under the skin of it and begin to, to coach each other about how we're going to do this. You see, you have to see what gets you into trouble. Come on now. What gets you into trouble? What is it where you start feeling terrible? What is it that every time you hear it, there's a, a reaction of disbelief? You know, when we stand here and say, you can live debt-free, that actually you say to yourself, oh, that's not me. Straight away you dismiss it because there's a stronghold in there. That you actually argue about things like that, and you argue about uh, life in that way. That you think, oh, that's just them being idealistic and so on, and oh, it's all right for them. And there's a whole thing that starts playing out. Why do you think that way? When somebody says things like, you can have a great relationship, and you can find love in life, and that you instantly begin to think, I'll never have a good relationship. What is that that's in you that says that? Why do you react to things like that? Some of us as parents, that, you know, that you, you, God wants you to be the parent that you're supposed to be, and that whenever parents and children come up, you actually think, my kids are a problem. What is that belief that's, that's keeping you from being the best parent that you could ever be? You see, what I'm saying to you, the first thing in the healing process is to identify what's holding you back. Why do I do that? Now, I know there are times when I don't know why what I do, but I look for some patterns and I begin to say, Holy Spirit, would you help me with why I'm doing this? And over time, as you begin to admit, there's a reaction there. There's, there's something in my spirit that gets angry about that, or there's something in my spirit that disbelieves that, or there's something within me that dismisses that quickly, or there's something in my spirit where I don't want to think about that. Just identify that with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the first step. It's a little bit of honesty. Now, let me take you a, just a little step further, and the worship team are actually going to come back up in a moment, just in a moment. Just hang on for a minute, guys. But Jesus, you know this. This is uh, straightforward teaching, that when Jesus was confronted with a lie, he always answered it with Scripture. You know this from his temptation. As soon as the enemy uh, uh, tempted him, he said, you know, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He, he used Scripture. And we read that so passively, but let me teach you something. Let me take you a little bit deeper. He didn't just quote the Bible. He didn't just quote the Word of God. He weaponized it. In other words, he declared it. He said, no, this is where I'm standing. This is where what I'm believing. This is what I am praying into now as if it's true. You see, what we do is we read that story as if it's so passive. You know, Satan says one thing, Jesus answers him back, tit for tat, tit for tat. It wasn't like that. Jesus used it as a weapon. 
And so I want to say this to you. Don't just quote the Bible. You've got to start weaponizing it to create a new reality in your heart and in your thinking. Doesn't the Bible say that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword? It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Hebrews 4.12 it is. From joints and marrow, it judges thoughts and intentions of heart. Now, that actually is talking about the Word of God to you as well as just the Scripture. But what it tells me is the Bible can get anywhere it needs to go in your life. Ephesians 6 verse 17 says we have to take up the sword of the Spirit. I don't think a sword is something to point things out. I think it's a weapon. And that's the Word of God. Your primary weapon in God's truth uh, your primary weapon is God's truth, but you have to wield it as a weapon. Now, that doesn't mean to shout it louder. What I mean is that you say to yourself, this is what I want in my core, and this is where I stand, so that you begin to operate out of it. Now, this takes time, but let's go through the process. Number one, identify the lie and ask yourself, why do I react this way? Whenever Pastor Paolo talks about money, why do I fold my arms and get all defensive? Why? When people talk about relationships, why do I go, hmm, not me? Why is that? You have to identify the lie. Second thing is, see the truth. Begin to say to yourself, well, actually, there is truth in God that I need to see and begin to appropriate in my life. Third part of the process is this, declare it over my life. I don't mean just shouting. I mean declare it, think it, and pray it as if it is there. Identify, see it, declare it. Oh, it's almost like I need you to repeat that with me just under your mask. Identify see it, declare it. Declare it doesn't mean just shout it. It means think it, pray it as if it's there. The Bible says we have to take our thoughts captive. This is a repeated action. It's a decision that we have to make over and over again. It's a repeated principle. Transformation and renewal only comes by repeated action. So this is why Maybe you should watch this message on replay. Maybe we should take two weeks to begin to say, okay, what's the process? Identify, truth, declare. Can you just get that into your mind right now? I'm going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to identify some things. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to admit. I'm going to watch my reactions. I'm going to see where I get in trouble. I'm going to see where I disbelieve. I'm going to see where I dismiss. I'm going to identify it. You can be the person that God wants you to be. And then I'm going to see what God, what does, what does your word actually say about that, Lord? I'm going to inhabit that word, and then I'm going to declare it over my life. I'm going to say, I'm going to pray into it. I'm going to declare it as if that's me. And eventually, as I do that, I will become that. You know, one time, I'd ask the worship team to come, but just focus, if you will. I, I was, uh, was walking down the street with Kathy, and uh, I, for somebody who can't drive, I talk about cars a lot. I've noticed that about me. It must be a, 
a kind of longing or a stronghold. And a Lamborghini drove past us, you know, it was low to the ground. And, and I said, oh, Kathy, there's a Lamborghini. And Kathy says, it looks like a squash frog to me. <laughs> I'm thinking, it's a Lamborghini. She said, no, no, it looks like a squash frog. And then she goes into all this, well, where would you put your shopping? And how would you get in? And, you know, and if you've got a speed bump, you're going to scrape the bottom. And all the reasons why it's not practical to have a Lamborghini. And I said, you do realize that somebody has paid £150,000 for that car. She said, yeah, it's not worth it. You know what? Others may not think you're worth, but something's worth what somebody is prepared to pay for it. And God paid everything for you. Let me say that again. Others may have a low opinion of you. Others may think that you're not up to much. But Jesus paid the price that he thought you were worth. And he's got the power for you to live out your worth. If you will walk with him, be honest with him, cooperate with him, he paid what he thought you were worth. Let's all stand together, shall we? are wonderful people God's chosen people and it's time that you declared a war on the thinking that holds you back and on the mental state that says I won't quite be what God says I can be one two three four in the name of Jesus I declare a spiritual war Come on. Identify, see the truth, begin to declare it into your life. Not just by shouting, but pray it in. Think it through. Begin to say, that is who I want to be. That is true for me, even before it happens. Well, just raise your hands with me right now. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to begin the journey of tearing down strongholds. I understand that this message was very similar to the one I preached two weeks ago. That's my intention. My intention was is so that I could stir up the silt in our minds so that we could then walk through and begin to find clear water. Holy Spirit, open our minds now as we worship you.